All right, you can all have a seat right where you're at. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I know that seems very abrupt, but um, we're going to call a little bit of an audible today. And um, for those of you who are not football people, what that means is we do, every now and then, we do some things, thank you, that um, maybe are not how we originally planned for them to happen. And so um, this morning is one of those mornings, if you've not been at LifePoint the last couple of weeks or you're a guest with us this morning, uh, around here we have conversations in series, not just in sermons. And for the last couple of weeks, we have been uh, looking at this idea of who is the Holy Spirit and what is he like. And uh, it's in a series that we call The God That I Barely Know. And um, if you've been here, you've heard me say this. If you haven't, I want to bring you up to speed is uh, the Holy Spirit is, is interesting to say the least. And for many of us in our lives, um, the Holy Spirit is the God that we just, maybe we're afraid of or we don't understand or he seems so mysterious and so mystical that often what we choose to do is we know God and we know the Holy Spirit exists, but we choose to sit on a bench way away from him, acknowledging that he's there and he's real, but maybe we're not as comfortable as we could be or should be. And so we kind of leave him down on the other side of the bench and it's like, we know you're there, but I don't really want to like no, know you. You know what I mean? Do you, you, you all, all understand what I mean when I say no, no? You know, it's like when I was a student pastor and you'd see, you know, a guy and a girl come to youth group and they'd kind of sit over there next to each other, you know, you'd just be like, so uh, do you like, you go to the guy and you're like, do you, do you like her? And they get this look in their face, you know, well, I mean, I don't like like her. I mean, I kind of like her. I don't like like her. Well, it's kind of how we are with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Like, I know him, but I don't like know, know him. And this entire series is about understanding who he is so that hopefully we can slide closer on the bench and get to know, know him. And this morning, um, I was so overwhelmed, particularly in worship in the early gathering, and not overwhelmed by, if I'm honest with you, not overwhelmed by the Lord's presence and the Lord's goodness, but overwhelmed by possibly what I think would be my insecurity or maybe my lack of, maybe authenticity a little bit. And I'm concerned that it's not just me in the room. Because here's what, here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned sometimes we sing songs and we say words in songs that because they're set to rhythm and they're set to a key and they rhyme and, and there's an emotion attached to it and we have a band that plays the right notes and we got a drummer that hit, that's playing in the right tempo and the music just kind of flows. We find ourselves singing words that maybe are not even really all that true. Like maybe we want them to be true. But I question sometimes whether they're true. And this morning we, we, we just sing, I mean, we sing a song. It's like, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I just wonder, is he? And I just found myself this morning in the early gathering and again in this one just going, I just wonder, is he, is he welcome is he welcome here? And when I say here, I don't mean like 700 Motley Street. I don't mean this auditorium necessarily. I mean like in our lives, in our hearts, 
in our organization, in our family, in our faith family? Is he welcome? Like, is it, is it fair? Like, is it fair to say to God this morning, Lord, you are welcome here? Because I don't necessarily think that he feels welcome just because we tell him he's welcome. And, and by the way, if, if as I say that, if, you, if that just kind of causes you like a, little, like a little check maybe in your spirit, like a little, mm, I just want you to know it does mine too because here's the weird thing. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? Do we, are we responsible and can we make God feel welcome and unwelcome? Because here's what we've discovered over the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we discovered that the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. When the Holy Spirit refers to himself in the pages of Scripture, it is a person. It is a by whom. It is a for whom. It is a he in Scripture. It is a person. It's not, it's not an it. It's not a thing. It's not an idea. It's not a principle. It's not an icon. It's not a picture, a representation. He is a person. It is a he. And if the, not only did we discover in week one that it is a he, but last week we discovered that this he, this person, is God. And the significance of that is that of all the attributes of what makes God God, the, most, the, the thing that is most centric, the thing that is most predominant in the concept of God is that, is that God is in authority. Like it is, it is certainly true that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all at the same time. And he is omniscient. He knows all things. He is, he is um, he's omnipotent. He can do anything. He is all-powerful. Certainly those things are what, what it means to be God. He is sovereign, meaning he is in control. It's never, nothing's ever occurred to God. He's never been without knowledge and control. And all those things make God God. <coughs> but the predominant thing that makes God God is that he is in charge. He is an authority. He, he is set above anything else. There is none who is above him and none that stand beside him. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He is, he is king. He is an authority. And so the idea that, that God is emotional or that God can be made to feel a certain way almost feels weird. Like, can, can God feel something? And do we have the ability to make God feel one way or another? And this morning, I, I just felt overwhelmed by singing this song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And then we ask him, come, come fill this place and change its atmosphere. Like, do something. Display your authority and your might. And I think the greatest thing we could experience this morning, if you're here and you have been a believer your whole life, or you're here this morning and you're just kicking the tires on this thing called Jesus, or maybe you're just kicking the tires on this thing called church. And you're like, oh, man, I, I, you talk about a God I barely know. I don't know, any of, I don't know anything about God. I'm just kind of here because somebody invited me to come, and they said they'd take me to, like, you know, Western Sizzling after. And if they did, that's terrible. Go somewhere better. I'm just kidding. Somebody's probably here that works there, and I'm sorry. That was a joke. Somebody's going to watch online, send me emails. I'm just kidding. It's wonderful. Go there. If you don't like it, you'll at least get full. But if you're here and you're just like, I'm not into this God thing, here's the thing. The greatest thing that you can know this morning, greatest thing that you can know, is is there a way that, the, that, that if there's a God, if there is a God, 
Is there a way that he interjects himself into our lives? Because when we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, we're not just saying we want to sense the omnipresence of God. Because most of us in the room, especially those of us who are believers, we're, we're, we're understanding God's here. You don't have to welcome God to the room, by the way. He is here because he's everywhere. But when we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, what we're saying is we want to sense your presence. We want to feel your power. We want to have some experience other than your omnipresence that's everywhere. And so we declare to him, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. But I wonder, is he? Like as you sing that song, is he welcome here? As I sing this song, is he welcome right here with me and as we sing this song is he welcome in this place because to say to God you are welcome indicates to me that there must be some conditions that he wouldn't feel welcome and the question I have for you this morning is what do you think it would take for God to feel unwelcome maybe a better thought is this do you think there's ever a time that God feels deep sadness? I mean, I, I would be, I'd like to ask you, and I think I already know the answer. You don't have to raise your hand, but I bet in every chair this morning, if I was to say, have you ever just had a sense of just overwhelming, deep sorrow in your life? I bet almost all of us would go, I, I want to take you to that place. I just want you to sense for a minute that place. And for some of you, that may be a while back, or for some of you, it may be recent, or for some of you, it may be right now that you just feel a sense of just deep sorrow, just overwhelming sadness. And the interesting thing is the commonality of sorrow. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about the sadness that comes when your favorite team loses a ball game. I'm talking about deep, gut-riching, like the kind of emotion where it feels like you have been gutted. Like the kind of sadness you feel from brokenness and loss. Maybe even to the point that you would call it grief. Like you are so... You have lost something so special that you feel like you can never get back and it feels like it took some part of you with it. For many of you, you've probably felt that in the loss of a life. Maybe a parent or a child or a close loved one. And there's a sense of grief that's just like, I, I'm, I feel such brokenness because of the, the gap that this puts in my life, this hole in my life that I feel like I'm never going to feel again because that that I loved is gone, right? Because let me tell you something about grief. Let me tell you something about grief that maybe you don't understand, but you will after I tell you. There is no grief without proximity. See, grief requires proximity. There's, there has to be a level of closeness in relationship or closeness in desire and you're not grieved by something you don't know going missing or being lost I mean I'll prove that to you there's probably a thousand people I really don't know I haven't looked up the statistics there's probably at least a thousand people of the seven almost seven billion on planet earth today that will die maybe more than that that will die today and you will not have a an iota of grief for their life even though they pass and it's over. They, you, won't, you know why? Because you don't know them. And you don't experience grief and brokenness just from the reality of loss. It has to be loss of something that matters to you. 
And for some of you, you have experienced that in the death of a very, someone very close to you. For some of you, it might be the loss of a relationship, be it through divorce of a spouse or maybe your parents divorced and you lost something that you deeply desired and that you know you can't get back. And it's interesting at those moments, it doesn't even matter whose fault it is, right? There's still just this loss and this deep grief that surfaces as a result of that. Or maybe as a parent, you, you lose the relationship with one of your kids because of choices that they made or even choices that you may have made. And, and there's this gap, this, this brokenness that's, that's, that comes about because what would be expected didn't happen. And we experience loss and brokenness that can only be really defined as, I just almost feel like I was, I mean, the best way I can describe it is this feeling of just being gutted. Like, you took something away from me that was supposed to be there. And the only thing I can express is this deep sorrow of grief. And the question is, does God ever feel that way? I mean, can God feel that way? Can God feel like he has been gutted? Can God feel like he's lost something? Can God feel unwelcomed in this place? And by this place, I really mean this place and that place. And is it possible that we could just sing a song that is so disingenuous because we really don't know or we barely know what God is like? And this morning, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that I hope helps us understand more about this God that we barely know and challenges us to make some adjustments, maybe even this morning, to how we would sing that song and, more importantly, how we would live our life. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's writing to the churches in Ephesus, but I think my favorite thing about doing a series on the Holy Spirit is that really what we do when we go to the book of Ephesians or any other passage in Scripture is that we're looking at an autobiography of the Holy Spirit. It is a book written by the Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit oftentimes. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says some things that I believe indicate the Holy Spirit's expectations of how we live our life if we want to welcome him into our life and into our presence and into our experience. In verse 28, the Holy Spirit says, through Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now let me ask you this, this morning as you were singing, as you walked into this place, and I'm not naive, well I probably am naive, but I'm not as naive as some may think. I understand that as you come into this place, and particularly as you pull into the parking lot, particularly as you come into the front door, there is, is, there's like, there's, sometimes there's like this passageway that you go through that is, all right, let's transition from real life to church life, right? I mean, I know that. I'm not, I'm not silly. I know that. I know that some of you, some of you were fighting with children and we're, 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 you know, fighting maybe with a spouse right up until the driveway that you turned in. And at that moment, you went, all right, put on your church face, everybody. 
Time to smile. We are blessed and highly favored, and we're going to make sure they know it in there. And we'll get back to this later. Pressing pause. Don't think we're going to miss this great fight because we're all having a wonderful time doing it. But we're going to do it after we leave church, right? And so everybody walks in, and everybody's having a great day, and everything is all wonderful, and Jesus is the answer to every question we're going to ask today. But let's just be really honest with each other. How many, how, how often this morning when you were singing, and maybe even lifting your hands, and you were saying, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. How much of that time were you going because there is no corrupting talk that ever comes out of my mouth, right? I mean, as, as we read that passage, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. I mean, if this week the only time you could speak was in times when the words you were using were using to build someone else, to build someone else up, and to give grace to those who are hearing you, how much less of conversations would you be having next week? And I get it, I get it. I know how hard this is. And, and in fact, we figured out ways to make it okay to disobey this verse, right? We, we've made it okay. I mean, there's two things you can do if you want to have unwholesome talk and corrupting talk and not build up talk. There's two things you can do as a Christian to make yourself feel better about it. The first one is simply this. It's just practical help this morning. If you just don't want to do what Jesus says in the Bible, it's okay, I'll help you. First thing you do is you just make it a prayer request. Right? You meet with your life group and you just really want to talk about somebody, it's just real easy. You go, hey, we, just need, we really need to be praying for so-and-so. And then you just gossip all you want about it and apparently it makes it okay. Right? It, it like takes away this verse. Be all right. But I mean, you may be like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be in a life group this week. I really want to talk bad about somebody. Well, here's all you got to do. If you, don't want to do the, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to do the prayer request thing, it's real simple. After you say all of it, you can erase that you said it by saying these words. I mean, I'm just saying. Right? You just be like, can you believe my neighbor? I mean, he is scum of the earth. See the way he treats his wife and kids? Don't even mow his grass regularly. His landscaping's all out of... I mean, it's everywhere. What kind of person does that? I mean, I'm just saying. Which is the craziest, stupidest sentence in the history of the English language. Because no one thought that you were not just saying. That's the definition of saying is that you were just saying. Right? I mean, but I'm just saying. I mean, I'm saying it's stupid, but I'm just saying. The dumbest sentence ever, Right? Oh, man, I'm just saying. And you're like, what does it matter, Matt? I mean, okay, so I'm not supposed to talk bad about anybody, all right? And the only thing supposed to come out of my mouth are the things that build people up and extend grace. All right, I'll try to do better. What's your point? Well, the Holy Spirit, speaking of himself, says, and, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this and that's at the beginning of this verse, I don't think, as I've, as I've studied this, I don't think this is the and like peanut butter and jelly. Like, I don't think we're talking about two different things here. I think this is the Holy Spirit saying, 
I'm connecting these two thoughts. The word and is a connector. Or is a separator. But is a totally different conjunction. And is a combiner. And is a bringing two thoughts together. I think that what the Holy Spirit is saying about himself is there is some connection between corrupting talk and talk that doesn't build up and talk that doesn't extend grace and the capability that we have to gut the Holy Spirit emotionally. That we, we really can't sit in this auditorium regardless of how well the band plays and regardless of how good Ella Bain sings the song and regardless of how emotional you feel and regardless of how I lifted my hands, we really can't in authenticity say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here if what we are doing in our life is grieving him because no one feels welcome when they feel gutted. And I often wonder, are we deceiving ourselves? Not because we are intentionally positioning ourselves in a, in a place and in an environment where the God that we really want with us feels unwelcome, but are we doing it unintentionally because he's, a God, he's the God that we barely know? And we have deceived ourselves into thinking that the way we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our presence is based upon a song that we sing or a sermon that we preach or a feeling that we have. And we just chase the feeling and we chase the emotion and we chase the song and we chase the sermon and we chase a church and if we don't feel him here, we'll go to another one down the street. When all along, the thing that we really are wanting is almost impossible to get <coughs> because we're grieving God. We're causing him to feel a deep sense of sorrow because the way we live bothers him. And here's the thing, here's the thing. I don't necessarily think that one sin or the other is more important or less detrimental or any of those things. I think sin is sin. You need to understand it. When it comes to God, God sees sin very differently than you see sin. You, may, you probably see sin as bad things and things you ought not do or not doing things you ought to do. But see, when God sees sin, God sees sin from the perspective of what it cost. And sin cost his son his life. Sin is so horrific that God didn't just go, hey, I know you're sorry, here you go. Sin had to be paid for with the death of a lamb. He slaughtered his son. And so the price of sin is death. And so I'm not saying that sin is not bad. And I'm not saying that all sin doesn't cause issues. But I think it's very interesting that when the Holy Spirit writes a letter to us by inspiring Paul to write a letter to the church in Ephesus and including it in the canon of his word. The thing he associates grief with is the conversations that we have. You say, well, what's the solution then, man? How do we find a way to make him feel welcome? Well, 
he continues, and I think gives us the answer to that. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. If you want, if we want, if you want, if I want the Holy Spirit to feel welcome in this place, then we got to figure out what is it that causes him to have grief and let's put that away. And so this morning, I thought we would do an exercise. I know it's going to be somewhat uncomfortable, and I want to apologize to the people that are sitting in this section and in this section over here, but we're going to have to make a little bit of room. So here in a few seconds, you may have to get up. Just bear with me. I wouldn't normally do this, but it's a really important thing. So what we're going to do this morning is I want to read through these things again, just real quickly. And I'm going to read them kind of slowly and let you think about them. And I want you to determine if you deal with any of these things. All right? So if any of you in the room... So I don't want you to raise your hand yet, but if you're dealing with bitterness, I just want you to be like, hey, I'm bitter. I mean, don't say it out loud, just in your head go, okay, that's me. Bitterness, right? You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is when something has happened and you just can't seem to get over it and you're so frustrated with it that basically what you're doing is you, you're like, I just can't let this go because I can't let them off. Now, ultimately, what it is, is it's drinking poison, hoping the other person can die. Because here's the funny thing. The person that you are bitter, the thing that you are bitter about, that somebody did to you, that you're holding on to, like, I'm not going to let them get away with it. They have gotten away with it. Because let me tell you what I have found to be true. They don't care what you think. That's why they did it to you to begin with. You're not holding them captive. You're not putting them in jail. Actually, they are renting space in your heart for totally free. They are living in your heart rent-free. All right, but it's a reality. Maybe this morning you're like, man, I've just got some bitterness in my heart, in my life. All right, you just, you just hold on a minute. I'll tell you what to do with it. Bitterness, wrath and anger. Let me tell you something. I'm an expert in those two, right? Particularly when I was younger, right? Uh, to me, there was never a mountain so small I wasn't willing to die on it if you were wrong, all right? You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you back with interest so you don't want to do it again, right? Just angry, like angry, right? What? I mean, maybe that's you. Maybe you're here this morning. I'm like, listen, I'm just, I, there's some things I'm just really angry about. Wrath is a little bit worse than anger. Wrath is like I'm angry and I'm going to do something about it significantly, right? Clamor, slander. I'll be honest with you. I don't know exactly what clamor is. I didn't make it that far in the verse. I already had enough to worry about before I got there. I probably, I'm not a very good pastor. I should have figured that out for you. Actually, what I found out last gathering is I'm a really, really good teacher. I just have different, uh, you know, different tactics than everybody else. I do know what clamor means, but I said it in the last gathering. And I didn't know what it means, and like 48 people came to me and was like, hey, I looked it up. Here's what it means, and I went, gotcha. You'll remember that one now, Right? Some of you have already done the same thing. It's okay. Clamor. It's like, it's like loud insistence. You just got to have your way. Maybe that's you this morning. Just remember that if it is, I'm put that in there. And slander along with malice. If you find yourself that your tendency is when you hurt me, I'm going to make sure everybody knows something about you, that's slandering a person. Like, you're like, well, all I'm doing is speaking the truth. That doesn't make it right. I mean, I memorized that verse too. Speak the truth. I memorized that verse. I left out the last two words, in love. But, you know, I just didn't get that far. It's like, speak the truth. Got it. 
right? Now, I don't know who all feels like you're one of those five, but and this is the reason I might need some of you guys over here to kind of move for a minute over there. This is what we're going to do. Like, if, if, you, like, if you know where you stand in that verse, can you just shake a head real quick so I know? Okay, so everybody's there. So this is what we're going to do. It may be a little bit uncomfortable. What we're going to do is when I count to three, if you've dealt with any one of those things, I want you to move to the two center sections where I can see you better. And everybody who's not can go to the edges so we don't have to talk to them, all right? So here we go. One, two. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Because lucky for those of you who would stay in one of the two sections, lying was probably not one of them. So maybe you could feel okay about yourself, right? Like immediate. I mean, let me tell you what I bet you felt. You felt kind of a sit. Like there were some of you sitting in the middle. It's like, well, I'm glad I ain't got to get up and move, but I sort of want to, Right? Isn't it interesting? And maybe you had just a moment of relief there, comic relief just for a second, but isn't it interesting that we're okay singing the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Please ignore the fact that I am angry and bitter. We don't know God. We barely know him. We have no idea that we are trying to invite God into a space where he is deeply grieved and sorrowful because of the way that we are treating the people who are around us and the attitude of our hearts. But I think it's mandatory and impactful that we figure out how to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our environment, into our space so what do we do? We put, we put those things away. You say, it just doesn't seem very easy, Matt. I don't think it is. To put away bitterness, I'm not here to tell you this morning something's easy. We're inviting God into our life that's probably not easy. But I'm telling you this, if you want to experience his presence, not his omnipotence, not, I mean, not his omnipresence, his personal presence in your life, we better figure out how to put ourselves in a position where we're not grieving him because I don't willingly go to the places where I am deeply sorrowed. I don't willingly interject myself into the places where I'm going to be gutted and where I'm going to be offended. And I love that it's not a complex prescription on how we deal with bitterness and anger and grief and slander and clamor and malice. But instead, the Holy Spirit writing of himself and writing how he feels and knowing he is the one that's going to come alongside of us to equip and enable us to do what he has called us to do and expects us to do says, here's what you do. You put it away. You see, you need to understand that what's causing those things will probably not go away, so you better put them away. The circumstances that's causing you to be bitter and angry may not change. It won't go away. It doesn't mean you can't put it away. It means you make a conscious, intentional choice to not be affected by the things that you can't control. And one thing I've learned 17 years at LifePoint of watching people's lives change at Celebrate Recovery is this. If you really want to be successful at putting something away, you better put something on. See, those people who come and say, I'm going to quit, hardly ever quit. But those who say, I'm going to quit doing this and start doing this are the ones who become successful in their recovery. And if you want to stop grieving the Holy Spirit, the best way is to start doing something else. And lucky for us, 
The Holy Spirit tells us how to do that because he says to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And here's what we put on. Be kind to one another. Just be kind. It's like everything I needed to know in life I learned in kindergarten, right? Rule one, be kind. Tenderhearted. Men in the room, you know why you'll have a hard time experiencing the power and the presence of God in your life? And the reason I have it in mind is because somewhere along the line, we got convinced that being tenderhearted was weak. To be empathetic and concerned. To be willing to interject ourselves in a situation and say, I know this hurts and I want to hurt with you. It's been considered to be weak. But to experience the presence of God, the powerful personal presence of God, we should develop tenderheartedness. And then he says, forgiving one another. It's interesting, by the way, if you look at the correlation between those two verses, it's masterful, and the Holy Spirit is masterful. He is God. It shouldn't be surprising to us. But look at what he says. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger be put away. How do you do that? By being kind to one another. Clander, put clamor and slander aside. How do you do that? By being tenderhearted. And then the, how do we deal with it all as a whole by forgiving one another. You know what you can't be? You can't be bitter and wrath and have wrath and be angry if you'll just forgive. You say, how do you expect me to forgive somebody? Matt, they haven't even asked. It's not in the passage. Forgiveness is not something that is just granted by request. It is granted by obedience. They may never ask for forgiveness. Who cares? Forgive anyway. You say, why should I do that? Because Jesus forgave you. And his Holy Spirit has now sealed you until the day of redemption. In the first century, the seal was there to ensure that a letter made it where it was going with the intentions that it had. It's guaranteed delivery. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee of delivery. That what Jesus did on the cross and what you received by faith will actually happen on the day of redemption. He guarantees delivery. Why would you want to grieve the God that guarantees your redemption? You see, if we really want to do this thing right, and lucky for you, the band's going to let us sing this song again, maybe with a different attitude, is you need to put away the things that grieve God and put on the things that please God. And maybe this morning, as the band comes back out, maybe singing the song is not what's important. Maybe we need to live the song. Maybe for some of us, we need to take advantage of this altar and come up here and put away some stuff and put on some stuff. Maybe you need to come up here and lay down anger and malice and wrath and bitterness clamor and slander and maybe you need to pick up some forgiveness and some tender hardness and maybe then you and I can invite the Holy Spirit to be welcome in this place Father thank you for writing us a letter
Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring that letter so that we can understand you and get to know you better. We want to know, know you this morning, Lord. We want to slip over closer to you on the bench. God, my prayer is I don't want to grieve you anymore. I don't want to be the reason that you are deeply sorrowful. Help me put away anger, malice, wrath, bitterness, clamor, slander. And help me to put on tenderheartedness, forgiveness, and kindness. Help me make you feel welcome in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.